Hello, I'm Howard. Welcome to the 9320 Review Podcast, the show that is reveling in a historic, glorious win for England that will send shockwaves around the world. Yes, the England cricket team have won in Pakistan for only the third time ever. <laughs> Unfortunately, no we've to got to talk about football. <laughs> yeah, we're looking back at England's rather comprehensive and comfortable, in the end, 3-0 win over Senegal to reach the quarterfinals of the World Cup. And as you may have heard in the background to discuss this match, I'd like to be joined, also in Manchester, I think, by Aysan. Good afternoon. Afternoon, Howard. How are you doing? Um, I'm all right. I've got a little bit of a, a chesty cold. Um, which <laughs> Welcome is... to England. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, but other than my chesty cold, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty good. Yeah. You enjoying the weather then? I am. <laughs> Whether you believe that or not is a different thing, but I am not, enjoying the weather. It's not what your WhatsApp message suggested, but yeah, fair enough. Very fresh. Uh, did you catch a lot of football over the weekend or just the England match? Uh, just the England match. Um, did I watch anything else over the weekend? Who else played over the weekend? Remind me very quickly. Ooh, Argentina. They went through. Yeah. A bit reliant uh, on Messi. Yeah, I watched that game until the first goal. Um, Netherlands beat USA. I watched all of that game, and of course France won yesterday. So. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't. Uh, I didn't watch the France game, obviously. Um, yeah, I like the look of Holland. I have to be honest. Um, I, I mm. think that they, to me, they strike me as dark horses in the sense that they've got Argentina next, right? Yeah, Friday night, I think. Yes. So. My my hot tip is that Holland beat Argentina in the end quite comfortably, um, and that will probably send a message right throughout the tournament that they are very serious. Imagine the Van Hal celebrations then. Oh my god! As he arrives back at the hotel if they beat uh, Argentina. Oh, I can't imagine. I, I can't imagine. But you know, th- there's there's something eminently likable about Van Hal from my point of view. I was actually quite gutted when he when he ended up going to United because mm. I've always liked him as a coach, and I think that they they actually they look really impressive. They're really well balanced, which is a little bit of a cliche, but it's kind of true. Like in in an international tournament where games are tight, I, I think that if you can be as solid as they are defensively, but then possess the kind of threat that they possess going the other way. Um, it's it's very impressive. Uh, and I thought the manner in which they soaked up the USA's kind of perceived pressure, which to me, I feel as though that was their game plan, that they almost wanted to invite um, the USA onto them, mm. get the USA pressing higher and higher, and then just pass through them. And they did that. And it was, uh, was, really, it was really impressive. Uh, the group stage as well. It it delivered, did it not? The final, uh, final did. matches. It's quite. Is that not just depressing though? That that's the last time we'll probably see drama like that in the group stage. Once FIFA and Arsene Wenger have meddled with it some more. Um, I read somewhere that those changes are not like for sure, and that there is a possibility that they will reconsider them. Hmm. Let's hope so. Mm. I just heard they've got... Well, we are getting more... Well, we're definitely getting more teams, aren't we? So it's going to be 48 teams. I think that's definite. What isn't definite is 
how the group stages will work. So there's three options, 16 groups of three, the top two go through. That's a terrible, terrible idea because two-thirds of the groups going through just removes pretty much all the drama in the groups. 12 groups of four, top two in the eight third places go through. Best of a bad bunch, perhaps, that option. Or six groups of four in two halves of 24 meeting in a final. So like I've two, already... Like two Euros converging. Yeah, no, I've already got a headache thinking about that, mate. Yeah. I, I think we need to get through this World Cup and we'll worry about the next one when we get there. I'm not worrying about it, really. You know, it is what it is, but it's, mm. I don't know. Arsene Wenger's just a, a FIFA shill now, is he not? He wants uh, World Cups every two years as well, so who knows what the future holds, but it'll they will invariably make it worse than it is. So that's the, the FIFA way. So what do you think about his comments that Germany's political demonstrations cost them the World Cup knockout place? It's, it's weird how people uh, take the money, don't they? And you see them for what they are. So I think yeah, that's... I mean, I think people, I think people had a very naive view of Wenger in the first place. I think people oh, yeah, tend definitely. to have, I think people tend to have a very naive view of a lot of managers who pay lip service to certain types of things. I think that, you know, ultimately these are guys who are earning millions upon millions and they get used to earning money like that. And, you know, there's, I don't think there's a lot of morality in football. No. Uh, and, I th- I'm more surprised at people's reactions to Wenger. People keep, I've, I've read a lot of, oh, he's destroying his legacy. What legacy? Like, genuinely, what what is what is the legacy that Arsene Wenger left in English football that is so sacred and so pure that him going to work for FIFA will sully mm. it? His legacy was as a football manager, mm. not as specifically as a human being. I mean... <laughs> yeah, the two very different things. No, but I think for what he did for English football, absolutely. But that's different to him going and being a FIFA shill or whatever. He's always. I mean, I I remember. I remember like clearly twenty years ago. I speak to United fan going, you know, when like who were the the pantomime villains of football? Yeah, like the Mourinho's and stuff like that. And he he would always say the one you want to watch out for is Wenger. He's got this persona as a professor, and he speaks five languages, and you know. I think Alex Ferguson once had a go at that. Uh, you know, so what if he speaks five languages and he's amenable? And he's always essentially talked for his paymaster. So when he was Arsenal manager, City were evil, blah, 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 money's ruining it all. And now he's with FIFA, he's doing exactly the same thing. He'll do. But I think if you looked, I think if you scratch below the surface even back then, uh, his hypocrisy was pretty clearly yeah. laid bare. I think that Adebayor has gone on record to say several times that Wenger forced him to move to City, that he basically told him, I'm not even going to give you a squad number. You have to leave and you have to go to Manchester City. And he did that because Arsenal wanted the money. So whilst publicly Wenger was out slating City and City's owners, privately they were absolutely desperate to hoover up all the cash Mm. that they could from City, which is why they sold so many players to City. So... For me, Wenger's always been, um, and this is, again, I'm I'm removing Arsene Wenger 
the manager of Arsenal from Arsene Wenger, the, the coach who came to England. Arsene Wenger, the manager of Arsenal, was a hypocrite on the same level as most football multi-millionaires are. Do you know what I mean? I don't mm. think that I don't think that there was something special about him in terms of his morality back then. Do you think a World Cup every two years would be hugely dilute the excitement of the cup itself? I just don't think it'll ever happen. I just I, I think that's a that's a literal physical impossibility. What are you gonna do with the European Championships? Mm. You know, it's just it's there's no way that you get the clubs on board, you get the players on board, you get the associations on board. You know, I, I think that that's just uh, I think that's just talk. I think that you know, again, I don't know if this is specifically an Arsene Wenger thing. I know that Arsene Wenger talks has talked about it quite a lot during his FIFA role. The idea that games are getting too short, that you know, there's got to be ways to speed the game up and to uh, um, also not to punish teams who want to play and I think that the amount of added time that we've seen in the World Cup little things like that I'm all for that I think that you know if you want to make progress inside of football if you want if Arsene Wenger wants to leave a legacy at FIFA those are the types of things he should be addressing he shouldn't be getting himself involved in something as highly political as let's do a World Cup every two years Hmm. I know he wanted to revolutionise the offside law, but I don't know how, so I'm sure he'll somehow make it worse. But anyway, to the man who in 2020 said that there was no racism in football, all I can say is fuck off Arsene Wenger. Because um, <laughs> I guarantee <laughs> somehow he'll make matters worse. Uh, there's enough evidence out there to say that. So, Right, should we talk England then? Indeed. Indeedy. Uh, right, Sunday evening, Senegal, uh, round of 16. And again, we kind of knew the, the line-up way in advance. I think TalkSport were the ones that got the uh, the day in advance team sheets this time around. Uh, then a couple of hours before, what they suggested would happen was reinforced by certain journalists. One change, sack it in for Rashford. And I can't... We said on the review, I think... Uh, I think we're pushing Rashford a bit too much. These two goals might make him look like an undroppable when he isn't. And thankfully, I'm not saying thankfully that this was what I wanted to happen, but I'm glad that it didn't cloud Southgate's judgment in a way. Were you? Did it feel a sensible move for you, second for Rashford? Or like we've discussed before, we've got about six or seven options up front, and it doesn't make a huge difference who he chooses to start. Of course. Raheem Sterling took one decision away from him. Uh, all the best to him, of course, and his family. I'm glad to say they weren't actually at home when the home was burgled, which is good to know. But really, Saka for Rashford, maybe if Rashford had played, it would have been the same outcome. It wasn't really an easy decision for Southgate. No, it wasn't. So firstly, on the Sterling Foden um, decision, there's been some... Uh, implications today that that decision had already been made hmm. that that Foden playing ahead of Sterling had already been made before um what happened with his family uh I'm I think that tallies with the fact that I think the the players find out 24 hours before the game yeah. that uh who's going to start um and Obviously, the, the burglary at Sterling's house was on Saturday night, so I think that that decision had already been made. I think with uh, Saka Rashford, 
I was pretty clear that as as impressive as Rashford was in moments, you can't give the ball away the number of times that he gave the ball away in the first half. I think he looked, and this is maybe, I don't know, I don't want to, it isn't necessarily a criticism, but then it is a criticism of, of Rashford in that I think he's one of the few in the attack who look very individualistic. He's not necessarily a guy who I look at him and I immediately feel as though, oh, he's going to link dead well with Bellingham or with Kane or with, do you know what I mean? I feel yeah. as though it's very much, he's a very indiv individualistic type of player. Um, and so, yeah, I, for me, it was absolutely the right decision to, to bring Saka in and to leave Foden out on the left. Um, yeah. That first half hour then, we'll deal with that and then we'll deal with the last hour, uh, the game of one third then. No, a game of three thirds, I would say. Uh, mm -hmm. Ropey half hour, take control, then do the Man City thing of uh, <laughs> make a few subs and let's just uh, coast over the line for the last 20 minutes, which is how the end of the game felt to me, definitely, because once it was 3-0, that game was so obviously done. That first hour though, was it fair saying we were pretty ropey? Do you think it was nerves? There was quite a lot of the ball given away. Or, again, it's been unfair to Senegal, who were well organised again, cut off distribution to Rice, and, you know, had some dangerous players up front, despite the players that were unavailable for them. Um, so, I have a slightly different take on that first half hour. I, I think that England will have known how Senegal play, and I think that England will have known that Senegal were going to come to fly out the traps basically mm. and I think that it sort of made sense for England to play a little bit dead and to I don't want to say feel their way into the game but if a team is going to come and press you that high um, you are going to find spaces in transitions when you have players of the quality that England have and so yeah I mean there were moments there were, there were two or three heavy touches and there were two or three passes um that went astray, but the commentary on ITV was absolutely doing my head in because, quite frankly, like from seven or eight minutes into the game, they're lambasting Stones and Maguire for not moving the ball and for having for, for being ropey in their passing. But actually, it was very clear that the players that were meant to be showing for Stones and Maguire just weren't showing. Mm. It was making it very difficult for them. Now, I think that... Thanks for listening to the first 15 minutes of the show. To listen to the full podcast and all our contents, including reviews, previews, analysis, quizzes and much more, go to 9320.com to sign up now or simply click the link in the description. So what are you waiting for? Go to 9320.com now for the best, most passionate, impartial coverage of Manchester City and beyond.